So John chapter 9, it will be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, then go ahead and turn there as well. So this is the story where Jesus heals a man who was born blind. Verse 1 of chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God would be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spat on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said that he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then he took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told him, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man and had the blind that the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. The parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So for a second time, they called him in and they began to question him. God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and I can now see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. You're trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. 
verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you, you claim you can see. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for this chapter. I want to ask God that as we come to unpack this, a long chapter, I pray, God, that you by your Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the truth and to your message and to your gospel and to the beautiful, beautiful themes that are in this passage. So if we've read this passage before, give us fresh eyes. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Will you prepare our hearts? Will you transform our hearts? Will you help me? I ask for your help this morning. I ask God that we as a church will set aside all distractions and we will come open and ready and willing to hear from you. And we ask these things in your name and everyone says, Amen. Okay, John chapter 9. So that was 41 verses. It's a long chapter, but it's a really, really beautiful passage. You notice that Jesus is walking with his disciples, and along their walk, they meet this man who was born blind, or this blind beggar. So you've got this blind beggar who is homeless, and that is what they see. But Jesus and his disciples, while they see the same man, they actually see two very different things. Does that make sense? Jesus and his disciples are walking and they see the same man, but they see two totally different things. The disciples see an opportunity for a theological debate. Disciples love theological debates. Some people love theological debates, and they see this man as an opportunity for a theological debate. There was a theology, and it's a bad theology, that suggested that a person that might be blind or disabled or blind like the man in this passage was blind as a result of either his sin or the sin of his parents. Then that's bad theology. It's not good theology, it's bad theology, but it was a common Jewish belief back in the day. Jesus refutes that and clarifies by saying that this man did not sin, nor did his parents sin. So the disciples, while they see it as a theological debating opportunity, Jesus sees this as a healing opportunity. And in verse 6, Jesus spits on the ground makes mud pies and rubs mud pies onto this blind man's eyes. That's unconventional, isn't it? Can you imagine? I don't know if you've ever come for prayer ministry before, but I doubt your expectation would be that when you say, I kind of get a bit of a sore knee that someone gets down, spits, makes a mud pie and rubs it on your knee. I don't think we've ever done that in Willowfield before. Maybe today would be the first. But it's strange, isn't it? Jesus spits on the ground, 
makes a mud pie and rubs it on this guy's face, then tells him to go to the pool to wash. The guy does exactly that, and he comes back and he can see. A blind man can now see. There's a crowd in this passage, and they don't believe their eyes. That's our second point. For years, this man sat outside the temple, or he sat outside the church. He was blind, he was homeless, and he was a beggar. And people that would come to church, just like you and me this morning, would walk past this man on our way into church and on our way back out. So imagine this morning, whatever door you came in this morning, there is a man outside, and he's got a little carton of milk that's been cut, contents emptied out, and he's a little sign that says, give him money. That's kind of the scene. So you've saw him on the way in, you will see him on the way out. See him this Sunday, you'll see him next Sunday, you'll see him every other Sunday that he's been here. In fact, however long you've been in this church, you have seen that same blind beggar, homeless person outside our church. So here's the thing. The man in our story is blind, but isn't it interesting that the actual people who can see are also blind to this person? Because they don't really see him. They don't take much notice of him. And that's the first ironic thing. You have a blind man who cannot see and you have a crowd who can see, but because this man's a little bit different, he's a social outcast because he's blind, because he's a beggar, and because he's homeless. He's a social outcast, but he's also a religious outcast. So you walk past those types. You ignore those types. We do that with people that's different to us. People that have different views or different religious views or political views, whatever the view might be, we tend to ignore people that we just don't understand. We can walk past them all the time. We can even work with them. We might even live with them, but we don't actually see them. That's what's going on in this passage. So maybe Jesus kind of strange, unconventional healing technique of getting down and getting mud and rubbing it in the man's eyes is supposed to make us think of something. So think of the mud. What does mud make you think of in, in the Bible? Maybe mud, maybe clay, maybe dirt, maybe dust. Maybe it would make you think of Genesis. Because back in Genesis, we're told that humanity was made from the dust or the clay of the ground. So maybe Jesus is doing this to point us back to Genesis. And maybe he's pointing us back to Genesis to remind us where humanity comes from, but also to remind us that humanity was created in the image of God. Therefore, this man, regardless of his disability, is still a man who is created in the image of God. But the crowd never saw that. The crowd never seen him as a man created in the image of God. They paid little attention to him. And the reason that I say that is because of First. Eight. In verse 8, we read when the blind man who can now see comes walking back. They say, isn't this the blind man who used to sit and beg? They don't go, is that Joe, is that Joe coming walking back able to see? They don't know this man's name. They don't know anything about him. They only define him and describe him by the circumstances or condition that he has. He's blind and he's a beggar and that is all they have ever seen. No one stopped. Maybe out of guilt, they threw a few spare coins into his little milk carton outside, but they never stopped with this man. They never asked him his name. They never said, hey, we're going to need church. Why don't you come into church with us this morning? They don't see this man. Who are you not seeing? Who am I not seeing? Who's the people around you that you refuse to 
give any attention, that you refuse to get to know, you don't know their name. And maybe you do work with them. Maybe you live down the street from them. They might be different, but get to know them. Jesus stopped with this man, a social outcast, a religious outcast, and he stopped with him. So you've got this blind man who can now see. You've got a crowd that don't believe their eyes because when they see the man, they even think it might be someone that just looks like him. They don't believe him. The blind man has now healed, now gets questioned. That's what happens in our next number of verses. So the crowd, instead of, instead of celebrating this miracle, question the man. They don't believe him. Skepticism can blind us to God. Skepticism can blind us to a miracle. Skepticism can blind us to an encounter with God. And I guess that's no real surprise because logically or scientifically, we might not be able to work out how Jesus, like how can you rub mud on someone's eyes, tell them to go and get a dip in a pool and they come back and see? We can't make sense of that. So my logical, skeptical mind refuses to accept Jesus or accept this miracle. So we kind of get that. But here's what we maybe don't get. And what we will see in this passage is that skepticism can make you blind, but religion can also make you blind. And that's exactly what happens with these Pharisees. Like if anyone should celebrate and if anyone should get this miracle, it should be these Pharisees. But they don't get it. They don't see it. In verse 14, the Pharisees don't like the fact that Jesus has made mud pies on a Sabbath. Like, imagine. Like, imagine being Jesus and getting down and spitting on the ground and making mud pies. Because that's work. Don't, don't you know that that is work? Because every good Pharisee, you want to be a good Pharisee? Every good Pharisee knows that that very action of spitting, lifting mud, and then having to knead it together in a baking-type motion is work. And you don't work on the Sabbath. So it doesn't matter that some dude can see. It doesn't matter that someone has been healed. What really matters to the Pharisees and what they only see in this passage is the fact that Jesus made some mud pies on a Sunday. Tut, tut, tut. Tut, tut, tut. Can you see that religion and rule keeping and traditions and secondary things that we make sacred things can make us blind, like blind to Jesus, blind to a miracle, blind to an encounter with God. And from verses 15 through to verse 23, the religious leaders question him. In fact, they probably interrogate this poor man. He's just been able to see the people who should get it interrogate this man. And it's obvious that they don't come to a joint consensus because we're told that some people think, well, well, this person's clearly a sinner. Jesus is a sinner because he makes mud pies on a Sabbath. And other people are kind of saying, well, well, he can't be a sinner because how could a sinner do these miracles? The bottom line is these theological brains of the day. And, and, and don't forget, in this room, of this passage, chapter 9, you have some of the best theological minds of the day, and they don't get it. They can't see. Verse 17, the experts, Pharisees are experts. They know the Bible inside out. These experts ask the blind man who can now see what he thinks of Jesus. And I love that. I love that the Pharisees do that. 
Because here's the deal. It's so ironic. They're not intending it to be ironic, but it's so ironic. Here you have this blind, homeless beggar who is a religious and social outcast who post-healing, no one asked his opinion. No one barely looked at him on the way in and out of church. No one would even have given him the time of the day. And here is this man at the center of this theological debate giving his opinion. And I love that. This social, religious outcast giving the experts, the know-it-all Pharisees, a lesson on who Jesus is. Like what? They don't like what the, the blind man that can now see. They don't like what he has to say. So here's another little theological twist. They call in his parents. Like, what a petty move that is. It is such a petty move if you think about it. Because the Pharisees are kind of going, well, if you're not going to tell us the truth, because we don't believe you're telling the truth, Mr. Blind Man Who Can Now See, if, in fact, you are the blind man who can now see, we don't believe you. So if you're not going to tell us the truth, then we're jolly well just going to go and call your mommy and daddy and bring them in. See what they have to say about the whole thing. The problem with that is that the person in our passage, the man in our passage, is a man. He's not a kid. He's not a child. That's why his parents say that he is old enough to talk for himself. It's not that the parents come in and tell him, look, I think your little imagination has just gone into overdrive today, son. Tell the nice grown-up Pharisees what really happened. This man is a man in our passage. In verses 24 to 34, this charade continues in another round of interrogation. Pharisees do not like what the man is saying, so he gets kicked out of church. He gets kicked out of church. The man who can see, the man who gets who Jesus is, the man who had an encounter with Jesus, the man who had a miracle, gets kicked out of church. I wasn't expecting that. And I wasn't expecting the people that don't get Jesus to be the Pharisees. And I wasn't expecting that the Pharisees who don't believe, who don't get Jesus, who don't see Jesus, who don't get the encounter, who don't see the miracle, get to stay in church. What's that all about? Last point. When seeing Jesus is believing. Notice what's happening in this passage. You have to compare the blind man who can now see with the Pharisees. So if you were to start with the blind man, there's several little clues we get as we work through this. In verse 11, we see that the blind man says, the person that healed him was this man called Jesus. So he's aware of some person called Jesus. Whenever they push him a little bit further to ask who this Jesus is in verse 12, he comes back and says, well, I, I don't really know. All he knows is that he was blind and he can now see. All he knows is that some guy spoke to him, did some weird thing with his face, told me to go and wash, and when he got washed, he could now see. There's a progression in his understanding of Jesus in verse 17. He progresses on to, from I don't know to I think. I think Jesus must be some kind of prophet, he says. And finally then in verse 25, notice again the progression in his understanding as the man says, I know. I don't know. I think I know 
Jesus did a miracle. Because in verse 33, he indicates that he knows that Jesus is God because he says this. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. There's always a progression in our faith. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's an encouraging thing. So regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey or your faith journey, you might be thinking, I've done one alpha and I just don't get it. I've listened to one sermon and I just don't get it. I heard something about the gospel and I just don't get it. I want to say that's okay. It takes this guy in this passage a whole chapter to get who Jesus is. And guess what? Jesus is okay with that. There are things that God or Holy Spirit will be revealing to you. There'll be also things that you just don't get, that you just don't understand, that just go in your mind. That's okay. Ask questions about them. Research it. Look into it. But work with the stuff that you do know. I was going to think it's like a child. You have no expectation of a baby of doing anything more than just being a baby. They don't, they're not supposed to get all of life in those first few months, even first few years, even, even into their teenage years, they don't get life. It's okay to work through this journey wherever you are. I think that's an encouraging thing that we see from this passage. Here's the other thing. There's a progression of this man, but there's also this progression of the Pharisees. And we should be really surprised by this because here's what happened. The guys that were supposed to get it don't get it. In verse 16, they say that they don't know Jesus. They don't know who Jesus is and there's no joint up thinking. There's no consensus as to who Jesus is. There's just deep division at this point. In verse 18, we, they are, we're told that they refuse to believe in this miracle or they refuse to believe in Jesus. In verse 29, they don't even know where Jesus is from. And then in verse 40, finally, we see that they don't even know that they are blind because with a tone of incredulity, they come back to Jesus and they say, are you saying that we're blind? In verse 16, they claim Jesus is not God. In verses 16 and 24, they see Jesus as nothing more than a man. And finally, in verse 24, they see Jesus as a sinner. And you have to take both those and just compare them. You have to look at the man, you have to look at the Pharisees, and you have to look at the man he didn't know, but then he thinks, and then he does know. The man sees Jesus as, first of all, a man, then as a prophet, then as a God. The disciples just go the opposite way, the exact opposite way. And in fact, they end by calling Jesus, the Son of God, a sinner. And as I said before, here is the shocking thing. The person who gets who Jesus is gets kicked out of church and the group of people who don't get who Jesus is gets to stay in church. So what's going on in this passage? Chapter 9 is a story where we have a man who was always blind, but who can now see. Chapter 9 is a story about a group, a crowd, who could always see but because of their skepticism, they cannot see Jesus and they cannot see this miracle. Chapter nine is about a group called the Pharisees who in our chapter could always see, but because of their religion, because of their rule keeping, because they don't like what Jesus does, because they don't like 
what they see in Jesus because they don't like the fact that Jesus associates with the religious and the social outcasts because they don't like when they look at Jesus that Jesus welcomes those types of people into church, into his kingdom. They don't like what they see, so their religion has them blinded. Here's the ironic thing about this chapter if you haven't spotted it already. We think, as we read this passage, we think this is no more than a passage about one man who was blind, but he can now see. One man who was blind, but now he can see. Well, in actual fact, this is a chapter where everyone is blind apart from this one man. Did you get that? We think this is a chapter about one blind man who can now see, but it's actually a chapter where everyone is blind apart from this one man. This one man is the only one that gets to see Jesus, is the only one that gets an encounter with Jesus, is the only one who has a miracle with Jesus. The crowd don't believe their eyes. The disciples are too busy with their theological arguments to see what's really going on. And the Pharisees are just being too religious and they don't see this either. In fact, all they do for 21 verses is interrogate this poor man. What does Jesus do in this chapter? So a healed man now gets kicked out of church. Well, Jesus in verse one came after the blind man, the social and religious outcast, the, what we'd call the untouchable. And Jesus touches that person. He touches him. What does he do at the end of this chapter? Because the man might now be healed, but as we end this chapter, he's now a hurting man. He's a healed man, but he's now a hurting man. What does Jesus do? Verse 35, Jesus, when he heard what had happened, found the man. Jesus goes after this man. Jesus sees this man as a real human being created in the image of God, hurting, rejected, despised, unwanted, and Jesus goes after this person. And that is the heart of the gospel. That is Jesus' heart in this. And that should be our heart as well. Because I guess the question is, who are we overlooking? Who are we not seeing? Who are we unwilling to touch? Who are we unwilling to associate with this week? Jesus goes after this man. Like, can you imagine being able to see for the first time? And all you have seen in chapter nine are just a group of people who will not believe you. Can you imagine getting your miracle, your sight? Can you imagine that? But all you have seen written over the faces of every single person in front of you is disbelief and anger. Can you imagine the joy of being able to see physically but being crushed by other people's spiritual blindness? This man got rejected, abandoned, but Jesus came after the man. In a number of chapters later in John's gospel, and we'll see this over the next few weeks, it will not be this man that gets abandoned and rejected and despised. It will be Jesus that gets abandoned. In this moment, a crowd will scream, crucify, crucify, crucify. The crowd will turn against Jesus. The religious elite, the Pharisees, will turn against Jesus. And Jesus' very own disciples who followed him for the last three years will just 
run away and desert Jesus in that moment. But here's the thing. Jesus will be abandoned on a cross so that the likes of you and me will never be abandoned. Jesus will do that because he comes after the most broken, the most hurting, the most messed up of people. And he does what he does in this passage. Enters into a conversation with them enters into an encounter with them, meets them at their point of need and heals and loves and cares and goes after and says, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. We need to be really careful this morning that we're not the blind people in the passage because here's what's dead easy about this passage. So easy as a church today to say, like if you were to throw up the slide from before, Here's the man, here's the Pharisees. We can clearly see that the man gets that the Pharisees don't get it. What rubbish Pharisees. What bad Pharisees. What spiritually blind Pharisees. But then in that moment, and it happened with me this week as I prep for this here, what then happens is a big old finger comes out of the passage and points straight back at you. Because we can be blind. Like, as we said last Sunday night, we can look at other types of people that are different from us, and we can judge them, we can ridicule them, we can joke and we can mock. But we don't get to do that, and we shouldn't do that, because that's not what Jesus does. Jesus loves, Jesus encounters, Jesus touches, Jesus goes after the untouchable in these passages. We need to be careful that we are not the blind ones. We need to be careful that we don't think, hey, I've got 20-20 vision and I'm okay, that I'm morally superior, that the lens I look at through everyone else in the world is so much better. Because, hey, it's Sunday morning and we're at church. We're not doing a Sabbath Sunday. We're not chilling on a Sunday. We could have been out in the sun, but then we're just bitter. We're just bitter at that. That doesn't make us better. It just makes us bitter. We need to be careful that we are not the blind looking and judging at other people. We're all prone to spiritual blindness. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus to open our eyes. We need to see by faith and not by sight. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you so much for the the truth that is there, for the gospel that is there. And God, what I pray today is that you by your Holy Spirit would open our eyes. Even the most religious, well-behaved, prim and proper person. God, we need you to open our eyes to show us the things that we're blind to, the people that we are blind to, the things that we cherish in our life or the secondary things that we make sacred in our life that cause us blindness. So God, by your spirit, will you reveal those things? And will you give us the grace? And will you give us the help? And will you give us the mercy to deal with those things and to confess those things and to work through those things? So God in heaven, help us to see the gospel with fresh eyes today. Help us to see you with fresh eyes today. Help us not to be over familiar. And we ask these things in your name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Please stand to sing our last song.